Ladies and gentlemen, it is the end of 2021 and you are here with this year in Black art and culture. We're going to talk about how 2021 went for Black artists and the art world and Black folks who are in it. We have had an interesting year and I've had an interesting morning, but I'll tell you about that at the end of this. I mean, we want to talk all about it, talk about the, the best and the worst of 2021 and what we can expect for 2022. And I am here with some amazing guests, um, some of whom you've heard before because I've worked with them many times. So I'm going to get started and allow them to introduce themselves, starting with our beautiful Lisa Anderson. Hey everybody, I am Lisa Anderson, art advisor, founder on Blackwood Art Instagram, currently the interim managing director of the Black Cultural Archives in Brixton. Hi, my name is Kendra Walker. I am a art advisor and writer based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Peace. Uh, my name is Angela Carroll, writer, curator, art historian based in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, my name is Charles Moore, doctoral student at Columbia, writer, curator, and art collector. So how did 2021 end for you guys? Did it end on a positive note? Are you excited for 2022? Do you want to throw 2021 in the trash? Give us the deets. I think it ended, well, it's a mixed bag, right? <laughs> feel, things feel as though they were starting to gather pace and then life is slowed down again with the current um, version of COVID-19, things closing up. But all in all, I think 2021 ended well. It was great to see some amazing group shows come to play. I mean, me personally, um, securing the opportunity to lead the Black Culture Archives in London, which is an institution, the main, the only national heritage organization celebrating and promoting Black British history and culture is a, is a dream job come true. So ended pretty well for me. All in all. I love it, Lisa. So Lisa had a good year and um, I'm guessing that all of us had a fantastic year as well. I think what was really great for me in 2021 was getting a chance to meet a lot of supporters and followers. I did being that we're primarily digital one and then the pandemic kind of cut the world off from us because we're a very social group of people. You know, when you're talking about the arts, all about socializing and going to fairs and meeting people, not having done that in two years, it was really great that in 2021, I had a chance to meet a lot of people who were interested in sugarcane and even meet new friends. So that was, to me, the best part of 2021. I have to say, meeting some of you and meeting, you know, other collectors and artists, to me, made just made this work all the more exciting and really gave me a focus on, you know, on my why far more than it had before. So that's what made this year really good for me. So let's talk about 2021. Let's talk about some of the things that we saw that we really liked. And so we're going to start off with our favorite gallery shows. Name some shows that really, really pushed the envelope. And, you know, it's just about great work. Charles, what did you see this year that you loved? Um, I hate to use one of my shows I curated as an example, but I'm going to anyway. I, I curated a show called Operation Varsity Blues, which was a group of Black artists responding to the college admission scandal. And I thought that show was pretty incredible because these artists were commissioned 
in collaboration with me to make works responding to this tragedy. I asked the question to these artists, what did the college admission scandal mean to you? How did it affect Black people? And, and they responded incredibly through art. And that was one of the shows that was really, that spoke to me really well because I, I just thought these artists pushed themselves to a limit, pushed themselves beyond their limits to create works that were sort of out of their scope of their practice in some, certain cases. And the other show that really spoke to me was the, the Astor Gate show. I believe it was at the Gozian, if I'm not mistaken. I'd seen a few of his works in person sporadically throughout the years, but I'd never seen a solo exhibition of his work. And, and it, would just, it just blew my mind. So I have to admit that, first of all, Theaster Gates is, I think, probably my, I never say that I have a favorite artist, but I will say that he's one of my favorites. But I really like the idea of your show because I never thought of exploring that artistically. And I thought that that was just really smart to, to curate a show based on that. So kudos to you, Charles. Angela, some of your Thank favorite you. gallery shows. Yeah, I, there were so many really beautiful exhibitions this year. I think the one that is kind of a standout for me is Wangechi Mutu, I Am Speaking, Are You Listening? at the Legion of Honor Museum in San Francisco. It's been amazing to see her continue to expand her sculpture and continue to sort of disrupt the white walls uh, and very European museums with incredibly over African work and that is figurative, but also uh, alien and, and abstract in its rupture of gender and its rupture of form and in its use of uh, mythology and embedding of mythology into the forms. And so it was cool to see her doing not just sculpture, but also digging deeper into film. There was a short film that was screened there as well. And also I was able to get a, a signed copy of the catalog. So I was geeked about that. <laughs> but my art girl fandom, it's just like, yes. But it was, it was just a really well done show where it was impossible for you to, I think typically in museums, Black art, African art, Asian art, art made by folks of color and contemporary artists is in its own wing off to the side, right? But the way that she installed her works in this exhibition, it was right in the middle of classical European works and you couldn't avoid it. You couldn't walk around it. It was right in your face, right in the middle. And I would love to see more interventions like that really challenging the canon of art history and uh, artists, you know, situating themselves within within this work and within this lineage. I also really was impressed by and moved, like really emotionally moved by the Ulysses Jenkins uh, Without Your Interpretation show at ICA Philadelphia. Ulysses Jenkins is now, I believe, in his, in his 80s. He has been making experimental films for his entire life. Life and his contemporaries, Marin Hassinger and Singin Goody, have been working alongside him doing these performances, these interventions for years. And he was the primary one documenting a lot of Marin Hassinger's early work, doing that documentation. So to see folks finally sort of digging in and seeing the work that he's been doing, it, and it was a vast retrospective where you could see his work as a musician, his work as a filmmaker. 
and how many of the timely issues that he was discussing them then, racism, oppression, capitalism, that these issues still resonate you know, today. And so those, those, are, those are the shows that kind of stick with me even now. I think those were stellar shows. Kendra, what did you see? You traveled a lot this year. So what did you see that you really liked? I, I saw a lot of shows that I really, really liked, especially, you know, coming from post-pandemic when we're just now getting into things and seeing things in person. But if I had to narrow it down to two exhibitions, I think I'm going to go with Jarrell Gibbs' solo exhibition, Sounds of Color with Miriam Ibrahim in Chicago. I think this show was really spectacular. This is his first solo exhibition. I feel like a lot of his work was seen kind of in bits and pieces. So to see kind of a full narrative of his work in one space at such a large scale. I think it, it was just very fascinating, his use of color, the story he was telling. It, it was really different from the, the past work he was putting out. I think that was one of my favorite exhibitions of the year. My second exhibition, I'm going to go with Rested by Nicola Vassell in New York. I think it can be challenging to put together a group exhibition with both emerging mid-career artists with some of these old masters. And I think she did so very tastefully. She had works by Ming Smith and Henry Taylor and Charles White. And then she also had Chase Hall in there and and Wingari. And I just think it was done very, very tastefully. So I think that's going to be my second exhibition I really liked. I think what really stood out for me really made me happy. I think I mentioned it before. That was Sites of Memory. And in particular, it was Pamela Council's work. That was, and I didn't get a chance to to go, but I did see images from the show. I would have to say that that was one of my favorite shows. I'm not going to consider them a, a museum. We're going to consider it a gallery. That, I think, was my favorite show of the year for me. Lisa, even though you were in lockdown, you still had a chance to go out and see some things. What did you like? I feel guilty um, championing an African-American artist, given I'm the the enthusiast for Black British art. But the one show that I got a chance to really immerse myself in, and when there were hardly anybody else there, just me and my husband, my new husband, I got married this year, um, in the gallery space this summer, was 20,000 Years of Fire and Snow, the first UK solo show for the artist Cedric Chisholm. And I was just totally blown away by his use of colour, imagery, his own mythology. And it just gut punched me because he's talking about this post-apocalyptic sense of the idea of America, obviously dealing with race relations. And to this day, the imagery that he created is, is really haunting and impactful. And I find him a really exciting artist full of range, really testing the possibilities of paint. And in a time where people are getting a little bit bored, I think he's an artist to continually seek out and invest time in because I think he's here for the longevity. In that vein, I'm going to sneak in the fact that Hayward Gallery in the South Bank in London, one of our cultural centres, had a fantastic show mixing it up, celebrating contemporary British painting. I didn't get there long to go, unfortunately, but I was really happy to see some emerging Black British painting talent that I've been celebrating over the years featured in that show. And the one other one I'm going to sneak in and say is War in a Babylon, which is much less of a fine art kind of gallery show, but a really important curated conversation on the importance of resistance within a Black British community 
10 years on from the race riots. So definitely seek out information on that. I hope it gets reprised for future showings in different locations, but yeah, two great shows there. So we saw some wonderful gallery shows, but what did we see in the museums that we really liked? I'll start off with, of course, even though I had mixed feelings about it, when I think of a museum show that really impacted me, definitely Grief and Grievance. And I picked up the accompanying catalog for this. I have to say the Dirty South. I don't know anybody else who saw this was close to me, but I was really pleased by the show. I had these some of these ideas myself. I was happy to see that someone really ran with this. Valerie Castle Oliver did a phenomenal job with this, and I'm really proud of her. So those are my two favorite shows from museums that I really enjoyed. Lisa, I think you guys have some great things going on in the UK at the Tate that I'm assuming is going to be some of your favorite of 2021. Oh my goodness. It's it's heartbreaking. Yes. So we've got a fabulous new show open that has critical acclaim, wide public engagement, and it's between islands celebrating Caribbean artists from the African diaspora. I have yet to go, so I can't say my own thing about it. It's a lot. I will be definitely going over the, the weeks to come. But I've been I've known about it. Thankfully, I'm very happy to say I've got a um quite a close relationship with David Bailey, one of the curators. Um, and know that the publication is amazing great critical thought about the importance of these uh, artists historically so yeah couldn't come at a better time and there's quite an interest in the Caribbean as a region and everything they have to offer in terms of other shows coming up over the over the next few months so yeah that's that's one thing I would definitely want people to to know about having happened in 2021 but it's going to stretch into a good part of 2022 as well so what other museum shows did you see this year that you liked you know what? I didn't get to see as many museums as I would have liked to. Unfortunately, it's been a crazy year for me. So my window of exhibition experience really was from about June to August and then a little bit freeze and the whole kind of art week in, in October. And that was it for me. Everything has been else has been online. But um, yeah. Kendra, any museum shows that you enjoyed? Yeah, so I really enjoyed Jennifer Packer's show, The Eye is Not Satisfied with Seeing at the Whitney Museum of Art in New York. And I also really enjoyed Bisa Butler's exhibition in Chicago at the Art Institute. The work was just phenomenal. The, the colors were bold. It was also really nice to just see so many people in the museum viewing her work. There was an older woman that was next to me looking at the work and she was just amazed at the technique and just everything so I think aside from like viewing Bisa's work also seeing everyone's reaction to her work was really lovely so I'm going to go with those two exhibitions. Those are excellent choices. Angela how about you? Sure. And sorry, I think I gave a few <laughs> museum choices earlier as opposed to just focusing on the galleries. I'm going to throw National Museum of Women in the Arts, a show curated by Milani Douglas called Reclamation Recipes, Remedies and Rituals. And what was really beautiful about that exhibition is that it centered the domestic interiors of Black women across the diaspora in the conversation. I think when we think about sort of domestic interiors within art institutions, we instantly go to sort of like Judy Chicago and, and white feminism 
feminisms, but that exhibition was sort of querying womanism, querying Black feminisms, and centering the discourse of Black women within the context of, again, domesticity in art, right? That, that the rituals that we engage, practices that are passed on through our grandmothers, our aunties, our mothers, our, our art as well. And so I thought that was a really beautiful exhibition. And also, I want to give Jarrell Gibbs, you know, Baltimore homie, another shout out as well for doing the Elijah Cummings portrait that was recently released and will be up for the next week or so at the Baltimore Museum of Art. And so it was really beautiful to see. And I believe that there's a story that he tells about either his mother or his grandmother had never gone to the Baltimore Museum of Art because of the history of segregation, but also because they didn't see themselves reflected. And so them being able to see their son, grandson's work now in the permanent collection of an institution that historically Black people were kept out of is extraordinary. And it's just, he's such a beautiful spirit and a really good friend. And so it's beautiful to see him winning right now. Yes, it is. That's a proud moment. Charles, we're going to round it out with your choices. Um, I really like the Julie Mertu show at the Whitney. Again, I had only seen a few of her works over the years, but never on this scale. Just to think about her audacity to work in this scale for so many years, these humongous monumental works were so fascinating to see in person. The other show I would like to talk about is not a museum show, but an institutional show with Knowledge Bennett at Keene University. I think he took over four or five galleries at the university, worked on the works or the exhibition for about a year. And the show is called Peace of a Man and kind of focus on like science and mathematics and spirituality, but also like social issues. So like one of the galleries in particular, we had these monumental works sort of celebrating the lives of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. You know, those works just stuck with me. So speaking of Brianna Taylor, because I think the NFT that many of us saw during our Basel Miami Beach um, called Brianna's Garden, let's quickly talk about NFTs, considering a lot of us hate NFTs, right? So I remember when the NFT conversation started, probably right about this time last year, you know, everybody was like, oh, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to be something that we speak about later on in, in, in the year. This won't make a, a dent in the art world. And then we got to Miami in this year. And all we talked about was NFTs. Everywhere you went, you saw NFTs. What are our thoughts now? You know, do you think they've made a difference? Do you think that we've seen a difference in the way Black artists are relating to collectors? You know, what are our thoughts now that a year has passed? I'll start. I'm still personally not a fan of NFTs. I don't think as a collector, I'm going to collect them, but I see a lot of artists that I admire are getting into NFTs. Two in particular, uh, Derek Adams and Renee Cox are getting into the NFT space. So I'm really happy for them as artists. But, you know, as a collector, I'm not a huge fan. I do own my first NFT. I, I went to a talk at Basel where at the end of the talk, they gave an NFT to all the attendees. Uh, so I, I actually own an NFT from Derek Adams. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I have no clue um, still what they are. And, and so far, I'm, I'm still not a fan. You got a free NFT by Derek Adams? Oh, my God. Is it, was it the Jay-Z one? No, it was definitely not the Jay-Z one. That was a one-of-one. 
but it was um, a, still a limited run because it, you know, only the attendees to this talk that was with him, Larry Ose Minta and Chris Lyons mm-hmm. received the NFT. And last I checked, it was selling between ten and $20,000 on the aftermarket. So kudos to all the attendees who received that, including myself. But aside from receiving a free NFT, I don't personally think I'll be buying NFTs anytime soon. Damn, I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> I really well, you love selling one, right? <laughs> well, the interesting thing about that is I wasn't even going to go to the talk because one of my friends hit me up and he's like, hey, you need to get here. I'm sitting just a few feet away from Kanye West at this Louis Vuitton fashion show. So we hop in an Uber and I realized that it was going to take an hour to go like two miles. So we were like, eh, you know what? Let's reroute the Uber and go to this NFT talk. Oh my gosh, you guys. So it was a good move. Yes, that was an excellent move. Absolutely excellent. So Kendra, Lisa, jump in here. Angela, what do you think? I think the most interesting NFTs that I've seen have been from from Black musicians. And I think that also the interventions from not just NFTs, but like immersion within augmented reality, virtual reality interventions that are being made by Lady Phoenix, you know, who is really still leading the conversation and stewarding a lot of digital artists into NFT world. I think for the vast majority of folks, it's the easiest way for digital artists to get their hands on, on cryptocurrency right? And to have an introduction to cryptocurrencies. And I think that it may be, you know, here to stay for better or worse. I would like to see more challenging and more interesting images and imagery and moving images and stuff that isn't just a gift for NFTs uh, being sold. But I am kind of amazed at the fact that very simple digital artworks are being sold for two and three and four and five ether, which is the equivalent of, I think, you know, for one ether, it's Fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars or something. I think it's gone up since the last time I've looked at it, which means that you can sell one one digital work for thousands of dollars. And I think that that is something that has never happened before because digital art has not been seen at the same level as sort of traditional fine art. And and so in that way, I think NFTs are are, are possibly here to stay. I'm curious about how folks will, again, like go deeper into the metaverse and think about the ways in which immersion, like what we saw with Brianna's Garden, can, can also be sort of monetized, but also can help us understand social justice issues. Exactly. And I love that. So you said something that was a key word for me. And so I want to kind of run this back before we talk about some other things that we saw this year. And that's talking about artists that we think really push the envelope and that we're expecting exciting things from. So Kendra, name some artists that you thought did extraordinary work this year and you expect great things from them in 2022. I think Ryan Cosbert is on a very favorable path from graduating from SVA this May. It just looks like she has a lot of great things in store for her. I'm excited to see more people excited about distraction. So she's an artist I'm excited for. I'm also excited for Michael Thorpe. He's a textile artist. He's doing some amazing work. He's capturing regular objects as well as like people and portraits. It's really nice. He had a, he sold out the booth and untitled this year in Miami. So I think that also 
also tells a lot about where his work is going. And then Jake Troyley, I'm excited for his work to see what he has going on for the next couple of years as well. I have to say that I am very proud of Avita Tenzano. Avita has been making work at least for 20 years, possibly 30, if, if I remember that conversation with her correctly. She has really been active on social media for a long time. I think she's one of the first artists that I met on social, like back in like 2013, 2014, maybe even 2012. And she has incredible tenacity. She has, you know, worked really hard to get quality gallery representation, not just representation, but quality gallery representation. And I feel like that finally happened for her this year. Luis de Jesus out of California is representing her. And she had two sold out booths during Art Basel Miami Beach. She had a sold out booth at Untitled and a sold out booth at Nada. And I'm just really proud of her. She is the, the example of, you know, not giving up and really staying pressed towards your goal. So I'm excited to see what 2022 brings for her um, and what type of work we will see from her. Charles, how about you? Um, I'm, I met this artist during Art Week named Kim Dacris, and I saw her show in Palm Beach called, uh, I think it was called Black Moves First or Black Black is First. And she was pretty incredible to listen to her speak as a person and as an artist. But when I saw the work, I immediately thought about Shakaya Booker. But but really, her work is very different from hers. And, and this show was really about her fascination with chess and and the, the, the queen uh, as a chess piece in particular. And just like listen to her talk about working with rubber from tires and and constructing these images that material was very interesting to me and i'm looking forward to what she makes in 2022 and to kind of sort of piggyback on kendra's pick on ryan cosberg i you know i'm really interested into seeing some of her new works i think she's making extraction exciting again for some people and and that's very good to see and I, I, and I really like her works that sort of introduce these ideas of figuration through abstraction and and the usage of materials like these wax and acrylic and oil and newspaper and pages from from her favorite books uh, so I'm looking forward to what she does next as well so I got a chance to meet Kim at Art Basel Miami Beach. She was at the um, This Week in Caribbean Art um, live recording for our podcast. Kim is really fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing more from her as well. Angela, I know you have some good picks. Yeah, so I mean, so many, so many cool artists, so many inspiring folks. Um, I am really excited. I'm going to bring some photographers into the mix. Uh, Sean Champion has been really doing her thing, Baltimore-based photographer. Her work was featured in the latest issue of um, No ID that Arthur Jaffa curated. It was, so it was really beautiful to see 
her represented there. I want to bring uh, cinematographer Bradford Young into the mix. Uh, it's beautiful to see a lot of the work that he's been doing lately. Artist Sidney Kane, who had a show at the Museum of the African Diaspora called Refutations, I believe. And then also there were a few shows at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco with a really amazing Billy Zangawa did really amazing work. Who else? I mean, there's so many artists. <laughs> I think the Souls of Black Folk show by um, Amako Wolfo was really beautiful as well well and Larry Ose Mensa helped uh, to curate that piece. Who else? Devin B. Johnson. I'm really, you know, curious to see how his work continues to expand. It's been really cool to see his journey. I saw his work years ago when he was still an MFA student at Pratt and had the chance to sort of build with him and then to see him go from, you know, graduate from there and then go kind of directly to BlackRock. And and now he's continuing to make really, really beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah, there, there are so many. There's so many folks that I'm that I'm inspired by right now. And of course, Lisa, anybody from the UK that we should pay attention to? Oh, most definitely. I, I'll just focus on on one, Andrew Pierre Hart, who had a really successful booth at this year's Freeze show for Art Week. He's with Tawani Gallery and it was actually one of the artists also featured in the Mixing It Up show at the Hayward Gallery on contemporary British painting. And I know he's got exciting things planned for the future. And what I love about this artist is how multidisciplinary his practice is. I'm not sure that he could choose between his love of music and moving image and paint. Uh, and he explores each one so so powerfully, each medium. I know there's going to be more of that interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary practice um, to come in his future shows. So he's definitely one to watch. We've talked about social justice a little bit in this conversation and how meaningful it is. And so we've seen at least two um, different incidents this year in our field that I think is worth having a conversation about. So um, as of recently, um, workers at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts held a one day strike over stalled contract negotiations. And then we also saw kind of a, a real dust up um, at Newfields, which is a museum based in Indianapolis, Indiana. So there was a couple of things. Number one, there was a job listing, a um, controversial job listing um, that said that they would want somebody who's focused on white art or culture, something to that, that effect. And also one of the curators at Newfields came out and documented some of the issues that she had being a black woman at the museum. So can we say that 2021 has forced institutions to look in the mirror and start this slow process of making change? Or are these incidents just isolated and not meaningful? I wouldn't say they're not meaningful, but you know, this is a long journey. I, I think there has been a marked shift in expectation I mean, there's a there's a there's much more pressure to look good, but we know that's not going to necessarily lead to wholehearted structural change. But I think things are shifting towards. I mean, there's more pre peer peer pressure. I think to be embracing of equitable, inclusive practices. But yeah, 
I'm not expecting wholesale change anytime soon. I wouldn't say that 2021 has forced anything on anybody, but I think there's more public pressure. I think audiences, particularly art-loving audiences, are more expectant of the conversation around inclusivity. That's as much as I think can be can be said. Yeah, agreed. And and I think we saw quite a few articles this year from the perspective of Black curators, from the perspective of Black arts administrators who kind of spoke to the fact that they were hired by institutions to, to sort of meet their diversity needs, but then uh, were met with a lot of a lot of hesitance from those institutions to change their 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 way of doing things right to to move in a way that would actually create diversity that would actually be uh, create more inclusivity in their collections in their in their shows and in their exhibitions and so I think that we still we haven't heard the last of these sorts of conversations and I think we still have a lot of work to do as far as shifting the culture of these institutions so that they can truly abide by what they say that they want, right? Um, And that means a shift in the infrastructure of these institutions if they truly want to have more inclusivity, more diversity, and not just check mark that off by with the hiring of one or two black or brown curators or art administrators of color. And what do you think comes next? So there definitely we have a lot of hires, a lot of galleries are now representing black artists. I mentioned it before that, you know, galleries want to know, you know, what black artists are you bring to them if you work with them. So What's next after we're not the favorite group to pay attention to anymore? Do you know, do these curators, do they still have a job? Do these artists still have representation? Or do you think that, you know, once we're no longer as popular, you know, we won't be considered as much? Charles, do you think that 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 will change? Or do you think that this moment that we're in changes the playing field for the future? I think all of what they just said and (laughs) black art is in vogue right now, but black people are not. So I don't, I don't think that there's any change, real change being made. We just have to think about inking, inking ourselves in the history books and how do we do that? And that's what we should consider. And accumulating power from a collector-based perspective, you know, I am interested and somewhat hopeful in the increase in awareness and an action in collecting from the African diaspora communities across the globe. I think the art supporting community, they're in it for the long haul. And I think that is something that needs to be paid attention to in terms of educating them, empowering them to have that long-term vision in supporting artists and the wider the broader arts conversation that I am hopeful for. I have to be hopeful for, because that's my life. That's all of our lives, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure we're all, in, I hope we're all in agreement in, in that respect. I think that is a huge opportunity to, to leverage from, from this moment of, of hyper interest. So what does 2022 look like? Any, what are the trends that we can expect to see in 2022? I'm I'm excited about larger scale. I'm excited about more more textile work and excited to see more artists sort of 
pushing pushing beyond traditional figuration and kind of blurring the line between figuration and abstraction i think that i'm i'm excited to see us continuing to to think about black aesthetics as something more than a black figure posing in a traditional way in a portrait and that big portrait being painted excited to see more artists who are playing with gesture playing with form and 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 shape and scale and material to explore this notion of blackness this notion of black aesthetics and to really expand the conversation around it i'd like to jump in there and just uh, agree and build on your interest in, in different expressions uh, and focus on ceramics, which I know is something that you love uh, as well, Melissa. Um, Charles, I, I, who was it who said they yeah, saw Theasta Gates and it blew them away? Theasta had two great shows here and just phenomenal. In a way, quite abstract, right? Just to have a room with shelving and beautifully positioned ceramic pieces. It can, it can say so much about our history, a shared kind of African diaspora perspective without having to point to a figure. figure. And I think it's something that can relate so much more powerfully to different communities, you know, and, and kind of connect us through, through our humanity and our kind of connection with the earth and history. I, I'm interested to see more conversations through the field of ceramics over the over the year to come oh man um i just had a news feed come across my phone that says the champagne shortage could last for years to come (laughs) and so (laughs) and so it just made me think about something else And, and and so what i'm excited about for next year is like the diversity among interests in people in the art world. And I'm really excited about writers to have more power to share their voice and their experience and and talk about art the way they want to. I'm excited about Black art collectors who, who happen to also be Black, having more power in the art world and not having some of the issues that they have faced and challenges they have faced over the years. I'm looking forward to seeing more black collectors on the boards of these institutions so they can really have a seat at the table and sort of make their voices be be heard. There's a lot more focus on these collectors and you are seeing a lot more articles thrown out there on the collections of these collectors. Uh, so like people like Elliot Perry and Kent Kelly and Dee Carrison and um, Suzanne McFadden and just, you know, hearing new names and not just the same old, you know, like not to discount, you know, the names like Troy Carter and Ray McGuire and Swiss Beats, and et cetera, but to hear new names and, and hear them more frequently so they garner more power in this art world. Here, here. So before we close out, artists that we expect to see pop in 2021. So we saw some good work this year with some people that you think have great shows coming up for 20, I'm sorry, for 2022. Uh, I I, I guess I'll start. I don't know if that was for me. (laughs) That's for everyone. Um, It's for everyone. Oh, okay. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, again, I'm going to mention Ryan Cosbert, but also... I'm looking 
forward to seeing more works by Tara Kush, Yifferal, Alterance, Gumby, Knowledge Bennett, Yo-Yo Lander, a young artist that I really admire that I think is going to make some waves, Telvin Wallace. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do in 2022. Yeah, again, I'm going to mention... Michael Thorpe, just knowing about some of his solos he has coming up, I'm excited to see what's going on for him. Also, I'm excited to see more work for um, Kevin Claiborne. I feel like at the end of the year, we were kind of really getting into like collage art. So interested to see what that looks like for 2022. There was one more artist I was going to mention, but I it just left my mind. So if I think about it, I'll pop back on and say it, but I'm going to I'm going to say I'm excited for. Can I ask one more question? Are we tired of figuration yet? Are we ready to jump into abstraction or is it just me? I mean, I, I think ti- I mean, I think tired is relative. I think there are some artists who, again, are I'm really excited about, like Sydney Kane, who's who's blurring that line. Like there are figures that recur, but but the way that they are created or crafted is is really more akin to abstraction than it is figuration. But then I'm also looking at you know artists like Kennedy Yonko, who is just taking sculpture. Uh, an abstraction to a whole to a whole nother level, you know, is with the scale, with um, materiality, with um, the juxtaposition of materials, soft and and hard, and and I would love to see more of that. I've been doing a lot of studies of you know the old masters you were referred to earlier, and thinking about the work of of lesser known artists like Ed Love, you know, who was doing this sort of work with metal and chrome back in the seventies and the eighties. Um, before people really respected it. And had he been white, he would have been compared to Brancusi, you know, but because he was black and working in a very different way and working with incredibly black subjects, he has not been respected or or revered in the same sorts of ways. And so I do think that there's an opportunity for black artists now to explore, you know, in ways that, you know, the artists that preceded them were not able to explore or who did explore like Jack Whitten. But again, we didn't really weren't honored until, you know, they they transitioned. And I'm happy that you mentioned Kennedy Yanko because I'm shocked that I forgot about her. Um, She's someone that I'm looking forward to seeing work from in 2022. And I felt like those pieces that she had at the Rubel collection completely blew my mind. The scale, the beauty, the, everything about it was phenomenal. And that's, for me personally, that's what I'm looking for when I go to fairs or museums, you know, work of that scale, of, of that power. I, I, I loved everything about her work. So anybody else, any other artists that we're looking forward to seeing in 2022 before we wrap up? Well, I'm going to say an artist that falls in the vein of the conversation that is already doing really well. And I'm always excited by seeing her work. And that's Jade Badojutimi's work, which kind of has hints of figuration in there, but is totally abstract in the same way. And I haven't seen the large scale works for, for a while. So I look forward to that. And you know what? I'm a sucker for figuration. So I think it is all relative, like Angela said. I mean, I'm always going to be compelled by I think it's just the way in which they deal with the figure. If it's fresh, if it's engaging, like I like Cedric's, like I mentioned in the in, in at the beginning, then I'm I'm always going to be here for it. But you know, 
some of the tropes that we've seen repeated again and again, as you, as we've talked about, like at the um, the last man Basel. Yeah, I'm over that for sure. So I think we're ready for next year. I think we're ready for next year. So before we close out, I would love to be sure that our listeners know where to find you on social. So starting with Charles, where can we find you on social media? I'm on Instagram mostly. My Instagram handle is champagne and vitamins. I love that handle. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I think it's incredible. Angela, where can we find you? Yeah, you can um, follow me on, on Instagram at Angela underscore in underscore Carol. Uh, and, you know, check out my link for for info about a, a book that was just released, if I'm able to do a shameless plug. Please do <laughs> uh, Called uh, Exploring Presence, which is a catalog and upcoming exhibition at Morgan State University in the spring uh, focused on a lesser known uh, African-American uh, elder artists um, who have not been recognized uh but are incredibly prolific so check us check us out exploring presence african-american artists in the upper south in the upper south is in reference to the dc maryland virginia uh upper sort of northern virginia region that is in between the south proper and the uh north official lisa where can we find you on social you can find me on instagram at lisa anderson aa and you can always also find me at Black British Arts. Okay, you can find me on Instagram at Kendra W123. And you can find me on social at um, Melissa Hunter Davis on Instagram, but the better place to go is Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram as well. You can also visit our site at sugarcanemag.com. And again, this is the year in Black art and culture. We just wanted to kind of do a rundown of what we thought of the year and what we can expect for 2022. It was truly a pleasure to be here with my fabulous team of folks who have all written for Sugarcane or been a part of a Sugarcane project at some point. So I'm happy to be here with you. I'm looking forward to a fantastic 2022 and uh, we will see you at the top of the year. Enjoy the new year, guys.